Hello, guys. Uh, today we have uh, a very interesting interview with uh, Keith Gerter, the CEO of uh, Beyond Effects Studio, that specializes in creating uh, visual effects for games and film. And what's even more interesting is that Keith is actually one of the people behind real-time VFX forum that's been loved by members of all of the video game community. We talk about VFX, education, visual effects, as well as things you need to learn in order to be a successful VFX artist. Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, doing this journey, although I know that you're probably in the L.A. area, right? So it's not. I actually live in Seattle as well. Really? Um, yeah, but so I. You're just uh, commuting, or like yeah. I, this our studio is is located in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. um, and so I fly down once a month or so to check on the studio, work with the team, etc. Okay, awesome. So thank you for finding the time uh, twice more than. <laughs> so I have a question, like an opener. So, and this is the question that we ask everyone who's working on uh, visual effects in games. Okay. And my question is like. Imagine a game and there is no visual effects. Yeah. Like, would it still be fun? Like, would it still be, you know, something that you can enjoy? Like, why are visual effects so important when you're building games? I love it. It's funny because this, this plays into why so many of us love visual effects so much. Yeah. Um, so I, I think at, at base, visual effects are they're used to bring life to the world. Right. Um, I think that it's pretty easy to look around outside and see that everything that moves, it's not a character or a vehicle or a gun, is probably going to run through some form of visual effects department. So we bring the frosting on the cake, as we say uh, sometimes, but it's um, we're adding motion and life to make this sort of static digital world feel like it actually has its own story to tell. Um, the thing that I love about visual effects, though, is that with every single game comes a slightly different purpose for the effect to be there. And so in some cases, visual effects are just used to help sell the narrative and build the world and bring life to that, that world. And other times, visual effects actually belong more in the design department and we're used to help deliver information to the player. Um, and other times, we're one of the core reasons that the player receives a good sense of feedback and consequence and impact from, from interacting with the game. And so I think what I love about visual effects is that the reason for our art, uh, it crosses over into so many different disciplines and fields, um, and we kind of get to interface as a part of every different department and development. Yeah, I always think about visual effects as kind of music and sounds. Yeah. Like when, if, you have, if you're in game development and you saw a demo, and there is like no music and no sound, and it's just like whatever, even if it's like very polished, it just doesn't work, right. right? And the same thing about visual effects, if you don't have them in the frame, the the prototype literally might not work. Like people would be <coughs> reluctant to give you money or anything. It's funny because it changes the way it feels. I think a lot of, in those cases, a lot of people wouldn't really be able to spot what's missing, but they would feel that something isn't there, that there's something that feels flat, it's, it's static, it's a little bit boring. Um, 
And so I, I don't know. I, I do like the analogy of frosting on the cake. Like the cake is actually the most important part. You can have a whole jar of frosting and it's not going to be great. Um, but if you just have a cake without that little bit of extra accent, then it, it feels like something's missing. Um, and that's definitely the case with, with visual effects. So once we're at it, tell us a little bit about how your journey in visual effects kind of worked. Because you worked in so many different companies, so many different games, and now with Beyond Effects, you're working on even more projects and helping all over. So how did you get into this industry and in this particular kind of career path? Yeah, I I was very fortunate that I I stumbled into this uh, this little niche industry that that just appealed to all of my passions. But um, I was studying film visual effects, and I was actually teaching uh, commercial visual effects out at a university in Florida called Full Sail. And I had a student ask me how game effects worked, mm-hmm. um, and this was at the time like Unreal two thousand and four was out, uh, Quake two. You can open up the editors, and you could actually load the editors and load all of the work that those artists uh, produced and sort of break them down and recreate them and learn how they, they functioned. And so I just told the student I have no idea, and I went home and I started playing with, with the Radiant Engine and with Unreal, um, with Unreal 2 at the time, and realized, like, wow, I really love this. I love the immediate feedback and being able to tinker and play. And ultimately, you know, we're working on games, working in games, and that means it's kind of play. Um, And the era that I was doing that was right at the point in video game history where the processing power was was large enough that this was a full-time need. Um, right at the dawn of the PlayStation 3 where studios were starting to differentiate themselves by saying, we've got great-looking visual effects. Uh, and so it was the first time in the industry where there was actually this need for somebody to come in and focus just on visual effects. And I was fortunate that I was one of the few people putting work up online saying, like, this is really fun and uh, started getting job offers and realized, like, wow, I would love to pursue this and sort of started my, my foot in the door that way. When you think about your career, like, where did you learn the most? I know you worked at, like, Naughty Duck for, like, six years, if I'm, and then you worked at EA. So what are, like, what is the place where you felt like you discovered kind of, like, the most uh, about this uh, art or skill or craft or Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest and say that every single project that I've ever worked on, even today, the work that I was doing this morning, I, I'm still learning. Um, I think that's maybe one of the cool things about visual effects is that it's always requiring me to be a student. Um, when I was at Naughty Dog, I definitely found my love for the craft of what we're doing. There's something really infectious about being with a team that's so focused on on using our artistry for a greater purpose and being surrounded by that and being being in a space that's just passionate about it. And I've, I've seen other teams establish their own form of that passion and, and desire to push craft in their own specific way. Um, I think a lot of the work that I've done across small teams and large teams alike has been almost just infectious in, uh, in excitement. So you, you mentioned Naughty Dog and your own studio right now is uh, here in Los Angeles area. And my question is, Why does kind of this area, Los Angeles, and the greater Los Angeles area in general, why does it appeal so much for video game companies? Like, why are there so many studios like Naughty Dog, and yeah. you, you, th- there was EA there, and like Activision, and all of those studios are kind of building places here. Why this particular area? 
It's funny. I've actually wondered that quite a few times myself, and I've never come to a because I mean there is a lot of studios and great studios in Seattle as well. Yeah, the the West Coast has has them kind of littered up and down, and yeah. um, I think that this city in particular attracts a certain type of creative. Uh, we see that for all of the entertainment industries have a, a large hub here, and so if you're an artist of any kind, you're probably going to consider coming here. And once you are here, the culture of this area is one to push and grow. Um, and so if you're an artist that's in the industry looking for a great place to, uh, to thrive, the city's going to come to mind and it's probably going to attract you. You might have a job from film. And then once you're here, if you're looking to push yourself, there's a lot of other people around you that are also artists looking to, to push themselves and do a little bit more, do something a little bit different. And so it's just a really good incubator. Um, yeah, it's a big soup of people trying to do things a little bit differently. You mentioned this, like the... Because the film industry, obviously, historically, is very big here. And I remember I talked with my wife like a while ago, and uh, she said, like, if we didn't come here, like if we lived in California, we would probably end up one way or another connected either with music or with film because it's just like such a huge presence there. And uh, you, you kind of gravitate towards it. But with with games, what's interesting is that Um, now, especially with like real time tech and, uh, kind of technology sort of merging, you see a lot of people kind of going from film into games and then from games into film and kind of all mixed up. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe this is one of the reasons why kind of LA is the place where there are so many game studios because there were a lot of film people and animation people here. Like, I mean, Disney is right next to, blizzard so it just yeah. makes sense because the styles are similar and the animations are similar and so on so maybe that's one of the reasons and my question is you working with talent you are trying to attract uh people um where does the talent come from is this just because you, you know you, you put you know a job post online and you see thousands of applications from local people willing to work for you or Is this just the people trying to fly here and live here? Or maybe it's remote work right now. So where do you find kind of the talent to work with you? I'm so excited to see that starting to shift, actually. Um, I love Los Angeles, uh, but I am so excited to see studios and developers find ways to work with talent from around the country, around the world. Uh, and for, honestly, for studios to be popping up all around the world. Because I think at the end of the day, the fact that all of us have been here in Los Angeles means that we're getting one type of experience and one sort of perspective and story that's, that's being told. So um, that's not a great answer to your question per se, but I, I think that for me now to try to figure out how to draw talent, technology has finally crossed this threshold where it's actually possible for me to try to work with talented artists around the country and around the world without requiring them to come to LA. Mm -hmm. um, because that's such a, a huge ask for you to give up whatever you've built for your home somewhere else to come and join us here uh, for, for a job. Um, and I, I think that it's, it's actually really refreshing that there's almost a new sort of shift in the balance that, hey, we can actually have the lives that we wanted and mm -hmm. also work in this field. So you're kind of you're pro this hybrid work approach and uh, I am like long term. I mean, there you don't have to. You can work from home and be in another state, and it's you feel like it works for. Yeah, 
I think I'm very realistic about what it's good at and what it's bad at. Um, and, uh, you know, I think having everybody in one open space working together is good at a lot of things. It's also really bad at a lot of things. It's hard to focus when you're in an open bullpen and people can just come and tap you on the shoulder all day and every day. Um, and that's actually the opposite now. Working from home, people, when we have very clear tasks, um, what I'm seeing and what the industry is seeing is like there's a marked improvement in efficiencies. Um, on the other hand, what that big open space of all of us being able to sit and have face-to-face -face time was good at was mentorship and team decisions. Um, and those are really hard to recreate through remote tools. And so I think there needs to be a little bit of both. And I think that there's great strategies of ways to use both. So I have two more questions kind of connected with that. But yeah. I think we'd better start with this new initiative that you launched. Uh, please, yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. But I think this is like a six-week program where you guys basically teach how to build uh, visual effects in games. And it's not, uh, we talked about visual games as a, as a frosting on a cake, and there are so many elements that are in your program. I mean, you're doing a little bit of environment storytelling, there is camera, there's particles, and all this stuff. Tell us a little bit about how did you come up with this idea? Where did it come from? Like, is this because you want um, kind of more production-ready uh, people? and you didn't find many, and you decided to teach them themselves, or is this because of your educational background? Like, It's it's a lot of, of all of it. Um, I think, in, in truth, uh, so there aren't any schools in North America that are teaching real-time visual effects enough to create entry-level artists. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a massive staff shortage. And so as I look around at every studio, not just in L.A., but honestly in the world, um, yeah. VFX artist is almost always going to be one of their jobs postings and nobody can find enough visual effects artists. Um, the other thing that we've noticed is that, uh, as everybody did start working remotely, the opportunity or the willingness to hire a junior has actually shrunk and that's because mentorship is so hard. Um, and so as we've sort of started returning back to office, as I've seen studios return back to their old way of developing, I'm not seeing those entry level positions open back up again. And it's been fascinating because when I do ask them, hey, what's your expected onboarding time? When you bring in a new intermediate artist, how long do you give them before you really expect them to hit the ground running? And I usually get one to three months. Mm. Well, one to three months for an onboarding, if I can actually take somebody and run them through a training program in six weeks, that fits perfectly into these large studio onboardings. Uh, and so the challenge for us when we created this program was is it possible for us to take a recent graduate, an inspired artist, somebody that really wants to learn real-time visual effects, and sprint them through this whole swath of knowledge base of what we do and make them into a production-ready visual effects artist on the other side that we can then present to these studios and start getting more junior talent and uh, inspired artists into our industry? So tell us a bit about the program itself. I mean, uh, you have some incredible talent teaching which is uh, amazing. Tell us a little bit about that. And also tell us about what what's going on during those six weeks. Like what are the kind of the yeah. the first step? The, what do they get in the end? I know that there is, they're supposed to allow, have some kind of like a sort of like a game or like a game-esque kind of project. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. 
then that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. Yeah, what we wanted to do when we started looking around at, at how to mirror, what industries have something similar that we can mirror for this, what we looked at was actually uh, hand labor trade. Uh, so plumbers and um, builders and craftsmen, they have these actual apprentices where people are learning on the job. And that hands-on experience of actually seeing how to craft and how to actually do the job is so vital. And that's actually missing from most traditional schools. So what we did is we, we put together a six-week program um, that's focused on three different mechanisms of learning. One of them is lectures because we obviously need to teach uh, the content. The other is actually working within a game project that we built specifically for this apprenticeship. And so it's a, it's a roughly 10-minute first-person narrative mm. adventure game that we built with all kinds of visual effects opportunities in mind in Unreal um, that's actually structured around what the apprentices would experience if they were working on an actual job. We asked them to check in to Perforce. We asked them to track their tasks using Jira. Um, we work with an art director and designer and sort of run through planning and, and sprints. Uh, and then the final one is actually guest lectures from talent across the industry. Um, not just visual effects artists, although we've definitely had some awesome visual effects artists come and join us to speak with us, but also um, getting a graphics programmer and an art director uh, and a designer to come out and speak to us about their perspective on visual effects and how artists should interface with them for their departments. Um, the actual curriculum itself uh, is broken down. You kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, we wanted to figure out why visual effects exist um, and structure a lot of the, the challenges and lessons that we have around those concepts. And so the first one is environmental storytelling. And so in week two, after a big introduction, in week two, we start to go into uh, all the challenges that happen when your task is how to build out an environment and add life to the world and how to match narrative tone and um, what you artistically should be focusing on, but then also what you should be focusing on for your craft and how to just make life easier for you as you're working. The next week is all about gameplay effects or um, what, what I kind of focus on as feedback effects. Um, so it's your muzzle flash. It's the things that make the game feel different, that make you feel like you are interfacing and impacting the world. Um, they often require a totally different sense of timing, because if you know if you play out a muzzle flash the way it actually happens in reality, it feels too slow, whereas you want a lot of pop on that. As soon as you pull the trigger, it just feels big and strong and bold. Um, the next week is all about information effects, so we tend to see these in UI elements or uh, magical spells, things like that, where the key purpose of that effect is actually to deliver information for the designer. Um, and so the focus that I always joke around here is like, man, you can have the most beautiful effect in the world, but if it does not really clearly communicate the intent or the language that that designer wants to send to the player, the effect might as well not exist. And so it's a totally different challenge to focus on very clear reads as opposed to just pretty visuals. The last week um, of our breakdown here is cinematic effects, where we go into uh, sort of locked cameras or locked action, and you have to build accents on top of motion. And so then 
most of the focus becomes composition, animation principles, and uh, how to use sequencer and things like that. Then the final week, which we're in now, um, as we're speaking together here, is actually all about advanced techniques and then optimization and performance. Because one of the fun things about game effects is if you can't hit 30 or 60 frames a second, you might as well have not made the art in the first place. That's, uh, you mentioned those kind of like the cinematic effects, like with the camera and then optimization. And I think these are two of the kind of invisible effects. Because when if you if you go outside and you ask any player about the camera, they usually never have any opinion about it. Right. Because if it works, they don't notice yep. it. If you've right? done it right, then nobody's thinking but about if, it. If it doesn't, then immediately they're going to be in disconnect. And, then, and the same about optimization, right? Because if everything's fluent, nobody has it. They don't see it, which is kind of like ironic because it involves so much work and it's so difficult. But um, I have a question on top of this. I know that uh, you're using Unreal to kind of teach all those techniques, <laughs> but I have uh, I have a question on top of this. So in the portfolio of games that you've worked on, there are some projects like Call of Duty, for example, where they're using proprietary tech, right? And uh, I think a uh, couple games like the Below game. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's, that was very proprietary. It's an amazing <laughs> game, also made with their own tech. Um, my question is, do you feel like teaching them uh, to operate within Unreal and uh, operate with a sequencer, which is also like an Unreal uh, product, um, does it make them ready to face all the other tech out there, which, which is not really documented anywhere outside of those corporations? Sure. I think one of the best things that has happened to, I'm going to say, the niche visual effects industry um, has been the standardization of Unreal or Unity because it's finally given us a common language. And so even when I do hop over to other tools, and I've, I love working in proprietary engines because it's just a new type of puzzle to play with, but we still have the frame of reference um, of Unreal. So if you and I have never worked together before and you and I have never worked in this new engine before, as we're exploring it, we can still reference what Unreal does to communicate and figure out, okay, so I know holistically that I need to spawn this particle and control the scale and the color and the opacity over its lifetime. And when it collides, I want it to trigger an event to spawn something else. And like that language is structured around some of the standards that uh, the major engines have produced for us so that we then are able to go in and manipulate that next engine and figure out what can that engine do for us. Um, or if we're working with engine programmers, which most of the time with proprietary engines, they're very well supported internally, which is why I love working with them. Um, we get to problem solve with those engineers to make those tools do what we need. So um, at the end of the day, I think what matters more is that we're learning the craft to some degree. Um, and that's platform agnostic, as we joke around. Um, they're all trying to do roughly the same thing, just in slightly different ways with different potentials. So a question on this, like while we're at the talking about tech yeah. in general. So I think a cup, I don't remember if it was this year was eventful. So I don't remember if it was <laughs> this year or last year. But uh, so Peter Jackson, told, they sold their tools division to unity for like some astronomical number like a billion and 
It wasn't astronaut. I don't remember. What a billion it was. point six or something, or a billion point eight. This was ridiculous. Like, um, and my question is because we get this a lot, especially working with you know tech people and people who are doing something with proprietary engines, and there are different kind of schools and thought on this. So, share yours. Okay. Do you feel like a, having your own tech right now is this more um, of a benefit, or does it? hold you back like if you look at like CD project I think that's sure. the most like a recent illustration right so they work with their own tech and then they ship the game to 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 a result that uh, they had uh, now they're doing the next game with Unreal and my question is like is this for some studios it's just too much to play with it's just too much resources or do you feel like this is still a competitive advantage and studios should still kind of pursue if they can right. uh, to right. do their own tech? Oh man, it's, it's, it is such a, a complicated... It's a, it's, it's and, a lot. And, and, it, and philosophical question actually as well because on one hand, um, Unreal gives us this great gift of, of these phenomenal tools that we get to iterate with. Um, and what I really like about sort of the pre-box engine is that you almost can hopefully let the tool recede and just focus on what you can do with it. Um, and so you see, if you look in like the, the hobbyist channels and forums right now, there's some amazing art being produced yeah. simply because Unreal allows them to. Um, most of that art isn't necessarily optimized or performant for what we need in a, in, in a shipped product, but they're just focusing on craft. And I think that that's really telling that these users and developers are able to let the tool finally recede from the conversation and just focus on what they're actually producing. Um, what I see in developers that are building their own proprietary engine is that the engine almost becomes a part of that product, uh, which is so cool because instead of focusing on engine versions and releases, everybody, the graphics programmers and the engine programmers and the developers and designers and artists, they're all working together to form this end piece and they get to sort of build this giant iterative flow together and sometimes that means tools that are phenomenally better at this specific thing that they're trying to solve. Um, I think the only danger is that, I, and this is also true with people that are in Unreal, is that our industry is still very prone to focus on tech instead of craft. Um, and I'm anxious for the day when we as artists all stop fiddling too much with our technology and just focus on what we're actually doing with it. So um, this uh, you, you mentioned kind of being fixated on tech. And this is something I hear a lot from people who are doing visual effects mm -hmm. because it's in this strange area where it's kind of art, but at the same time there is a lot of you know math involved yeah. and it's <coughs> the optimizations and there is a bunch of different tools like if Houdini, popcorn effects, like a bunch of the internal tools that companies have. And my question is, since you're doing this program and you're teaching them, which is very something, the skill that is very difficult, um, what are the biggest challenges that you face? Like, what are the things that people are having most uh, trouble with? You know, like yeah. where <laughs> where to look for the things to you know you know improve before you start uh, going there? I mean, I, I think. The part that makes me laugh about this question is that uh, artists that are just getting into the industry, they assume that most of our time is spent on, on 
producing art, whereas the reality is the most of our time is spent wondering why it's not working. Um, and so I think that's actually still to this day the hardest part is that um, I can have the best of intentions of making a brand new effect in two days and tomorrow I will get somewhere and I'll find out like something isn't working and I'll lose the next three or four days just trying to figure that out. Um, it's a lot like, it sounds a lot like an engineer's uh, yeah. job. It's, it is. I think there's, there's a very logical and... Uh, uh, What I always try to encourage is the scientific process when you are debugging. Mm. Um, and so th there is a very like pragmatic and logical breakdown that you have to do to analyze why isn't this working? Okay, I tried this and I tried this and I flipped this one thing over here and it started working but I need it to be flipped off so let's go dig into that a little bit more. Um, I think that is still the biggest hurdle with becoming a visual effects artist. And I, I call that out mostly because I think it's something that blindsides most people. When you're just tinkering and when you're just building in a gray box, learning how to use Niagara or um, uh, Shader Graph or whatever tool you want for visual effects, it's fun because you're just producing cool visuals and things and playing. Um, and it's not really until you really try to use it for a specific purpose that you hit that point where it breaks. And that's where a lot of people get lost and they get stuck. Uh, and so I, I think that is still to this day the largest hurdle of our industry is overcoming the like, why isn't this working question. And that's the part that I would love to lose because if we could just stay focused on creative yeah. endeavors. If, if everything just worked out of yeah, the box right. like people <laughs> advertise it, <laughs> right? So that's an interesting point that you mentioned that there is a lot of kind of iteration and we all know that iteration is kind of part of being an artist. Mm -hmm. And if you work on anything, you, you re redo it all the time. But here you also figure out why it doesn't work. Yeah. And... Um, Do you feel like this is um, an important, I don't want to say that it's a skill, but this kind of a concept to embrace if you want to be what is considered to be a production-ready uh, employee, right? Yeah. So what does it mean to be production-ready? Because yeah. we have, um, like, we also have a recruiting service on 80 level, and we try uh, to help companies find people who are production-ready. So, and with us, it basically means somebody who has shipped a title or who had worked on something. But <coughs> there are students, there are people who are graduating, there are people who don't really have that experience yet. How can you help them kind of become more, quicker become this, you know, this cog in the machine yeah, yeah. so they can continue, start working and not do like the three months <laughs> onboarding process? Right. Um, That's a huge part of our, our focus with uh, the apprenticeship, and it's a big part of my focus with mentoring artists in general because a lot of times schools, they teach you how to be creative, and they teach you how to create your artwork, but they forget about the constraints. Um, and I think one of the, the realities that most of our industry almost laughs about is that the last 5% of production is what takes 90% of it. Um, you know, that early, getting to 90% is really easy because the tools do get you there. And so um, when it comes to visual effects tasks, especially working in production, uh, there's people above me way, way at the top that have, they're putting money to this and so they need promises. And then running all the way down to project managers, they need some sort of statements of time. And so they come to me and they say like, hey, Keith, here's your task. We need a bubble explosion. And I'm going to say, I have no idea what that even means. What do you, uh, sure, that's a week. Um, right, and they want some sort of time estimate, and I want to give them an answer because I certainly know better than they do. 
Um, but it's also terrifying because I don't really know. <laughs> and there's so many reasons why I wouldn't be able to actually deliver on that. And so you have to build that, that sort of um, understanding of how to approach that conversation. But then more specifically, you have to build an understanding of how to work. And so um, we try to beat into our, it's maybe not the right phrase, I'll, I'll change my turn of phrase there. We try to really in, reinforce the concept of splitting up your individual task into thirds. What we, the anecdote that we always say is first make it work, then make it pretty, then make it fast. So you, you were saying about that uh, VFX is a great place to kind of get into when you were speaking with colleges, you're saying that it's a very easy kind of place to start. Yeah, I've been saying for, I feel like my entire career, that visual effects in games really should be the easiest job to get in the games industry. Um, one, because the demand is so outlandishly yeah. lopsided, like every studio needs visual effects artists and there just aren't enough of us. Um, but also because the tools that we use, you can just download for free. Um, you can open up Unreal or you can open up Unity and you can open up all the examples and you can see everything, like every step that that artist went through to create that artwork. Um, it's not like opening up a sculpture and wondering like, oh my gosh, how did he sculpt this? Um, it's literally like step by step, you can see all the instructions that we add in all of our settings to create that artwork and you can actually backtrack it. And so for people that are interested in visual effects, um, they've got access to all that they need to become really good visual effects artists. The problem is that it's super confusing. Uh, and so there's just no real strong guided educational resources. And that's where uh, there are a few but, uh, few groups of us that are trying to solve that. Yeah, you were, uh, that's what I want to ask. You're one of the moderators on the real-time VFX, which is one of the amazing platforms for real-time VFX artists. Because we on 80 level go to, this, <laughs> to the forum and we check out like the new stuff that's that's happening and sometimes we pick up someone to do an interview with because there's just so much you were saying people are doing some amazing stuff in real i mean you can go to that forum and figure that out because it's just insane i would love to <coughs> yeah I'd, so, I'd love to talk with you more about that afterwards. how does that how having that that platform kind of help educate the audience educate like the community about what can be done yeah so that forum spawned out of a couple of us visual effects artists um, talking, we were all out drinking, catching up, and realizing that we all used slightly different words to say the exact same thing. It was one of those bar arguments where like, we're all actually saying the exact same thing, but because we're using the language local to our specific games engine, uh, we, we weren't understanding each other. And what I realized and what, what we all kind of came to the conclusion of is that we as an industry just need to find better places to share a conversation. That we, the, the first step that we need to do is start sharing knowledge so that we can actually start to communicate and bridge that gap. And so um, I started realtimevfx.com. Uh, several of us started the Facebook group. Um, Discord channel spawned out from that. We also started working with GDC to get the VFX bootcamp going and uh, just trying to find as many different places to create a thriving community. Right now, the Twitter uh, community for real-time VFX is amazing and inspiring. So now what we have is this really large collection of, of talent and hobbyists and excited artists and just knowledge sharing. Um, but there's still very few places to go to actually understand how to learn what we do. Um, to, If you're just starting out, to ask, where do I start? 
um, because there's a lot to learn. You even called it out. There's a lot of tools that we use. And so um, we're just starting to see a couple studios and businesses and companies try to focus on that. Um, Jason Kaiser with VFX Apprentice is doing an amazing job focusing on craft first and growing out from that. And so um, I'm really excited about the curriculum that he's building. I think for us within Beyond Effects to take the opposite approach, to start with how much can we introduce uh, and cover in six weeks and can we get them to this very specific target goal of a hireable artist. It's been a really interesting exercise, uh, and I, I'm I'm just excited to see what amazing artists pop up around the world. Yeah, it's, with it's, the content. it's definitely great to see. It's kind of like I'm building a bridge to the next question. It's great to see so many people kind of trying and doing these experiments and putting them online. But um, <clears throat> the question that I have for you: so you worked on many games, like you work with Riot and Activision and a bunch of others. From from your perspective as uh, as an artist and a leader, um, maybe even games you haven't worked on, like where do you feel like VFX are kind of this integral part of the game? Where do they make most sense when they are not just like for show? You know, it's like I always like this example with uh, Fincher, like his he has a background in visual effects. He's, he knows them very well, but he uses them so sparsely. Yeah. Like if he wants to create like a helmet uh, on the lady or like delete the helmet or something like that, little pieces like in bits and something that he can't do on the set. Um, where do you feel like, are there games like that when visual effects kind of, you know, really matter? That's a, that's a beautifully philosophical thought. Yes. Uh, and I, I think we see this in a couple different formats. There's there's some genres of games, uh, like League of Legends is one actually where um, their visual effects are certainly visible, but the purpose and role of those effects is so finely tuned to the balance of the game and to the information being delivered to the player that that is the beautiful craft of their, their artistry. Um, and I, I always find that the more you really go in and analyze the restraints that they've had to put into their artwork uh, is when you really start to appreciate what, what they've developed. I think that the team at Naughty Dog is still producing some of the best usages of, of visual effects to accent a tone and to help tell a story that I've ever seen. And there's something really charming about their attention to detail being so subtle that you're not supposed to notice it. You're not supposed to uh, feel the massive impact, but if you do take the time to look, you see it there, and it fits in with the world that they're trying to build and the, the, the way they're trying to make you feel about their story as you're playing through it. And those are the types of experiences, in, in both cases, I think those are two very extremely different uses of effects, but they're starting to exemplify the, the way visual effects can actually be used for the greater purpose. Um, which is, you know, to, to elevate and to accent to some other goal. And I think that that's why I'm so excited to see people uh, empowered with tools that can focus on, on craft and as well as so excited to see so many different types of artists hopping in and using our tools. I really like this example with uh, League of Legends because it's like... Mm, you know, we all talk about, like, attack animations mm -hmm. like and that the... the 
like I play a lot of Elden Ring right now, so it's <laughs> yeah, a yep, it's so. an important topic for me. So <laughs> you you kind of learn the enemy and you understand when he hits and like you can see the, almost see the hitboxes like uh, at a time. And the same goes for like League of Legends because it's like it's like chess but with with more elements and it's all real time. So VFX is part of that. And the language that's being presented to you is largely through those effects. Even in Elden Ring, like it takes a long time to learn the language of that game, but it's there and it's consistent and it's largely told to you through their visual effects. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, that I really enjoyed like the forums. The, you, the forums that you're you launched them not that long ago. It, it's, it's like they're they've been here like for seven years. Seven years, yeah. same as the eighty level. Yep. So it's like the same. Yeah. Great minds think alike. <laughs> <laughs> so. I have a question, like, since we're kind of uh, almost at the end, um, we ask this a lot. So, to readers who <clears throat> haven't made it into a big studio, who are trying to get into some big company, or land a better job, or get into, like, a lead position, uh, what should they be working on? Like, what are the things that people who are making hiring decisions looking for? Like, what are they uh, looking at? Like, updated portfolio, or maybe um, programming, or some other tech skills, or, you know, go to Harvard, learn how to manage people. I don't know. Like, <laughs> what are the things that are kind of the biggest importance right now on the market? And this is specifically for visual effects? It can be, for, yeah, I guess for visual effects. The... The answer to that for me usually starts with a slight paradigm shift from what I see in most students. And this is hard for students to have, but when they're interviewing somewhere, the thing that they need to understand is that the people they're interviewing with are just trying to understand if they can be useful to them. Um, when I'm looking to hire somebody to bring in my team, it's usually because I have, I need help. I've got way too much to do and I need to know that I can put somebody in my team that's going to help me stand all of it up and get it done. Um, the most important part of that for visual effects is that I know that they're going to be able to ask questions when they need it and to push themselves to grow and to learn the different steps that we actually need. Um, there's definitely a, a statement of art style and sort of matching and you know there's the really really basic of can this person even do what I need them to do. But most of the questions that we're trying to get answered when we're interviewing or when we're, we're looking at an applicant is, can this person join us and actually grow into what we need them to be? Um, and so a lot of that comes from the confidence that they're going to, again, ask questions and uh, be curious enough about the ways we're doing things to learn how to do them correctly. And I, I guess like the, the biggest answer is that you need to learn all the time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like what this industry is all about. That's what I keep saying whenever I go to talk to any of the students or anyone. <clears throat> we have this lecture which is like 21 or something, something steps. And uh, if you can condense it into like under one <coughs> thing, it's basically you need to learn all the time because if you don't, somebody else is going to take your job or they're just going to do like a photogrammetrist thing and you, <laughs> you won't be able, they don't need a model there anymore, right? You have to do this all the time. And I guess that's that's kind of like the moral of this interview, that you have a educational course so people can enjoy that or they can learn anywhere else. And uh, 
if they follow against your, their dream and they keep learning, they will be able to achieve what they want. I think that's that's beautifully said. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really so appreciate it. So me. we'll add all the links in the description so people can check cool. out and uh, learn more about the programs that you have. And maybe somebody wants to work with you. So we'll Amazing. leave a link to the career page as well. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.